Governor Rick DeSantis of Florida was claiming this week that Florida had a lower death rate than most regions in the country. He said, quote, people just don't want to recognize it because it challenges their narrative, unquote. He's talking about the narrative that greater measures save lives. People just don't want to recognize our lower death rate because it challenges their narrative. And he's right. Counting and narrative are intertwined. Numbers do tell a story. Here at the beginning of the book of Numbers, it's hard to miss that the Hebrew word for number, mispar, with just a small change in vowels, is misaper, to tell a story. The narrative, the story that you recount, depends on what you initially counted. Unfortunately for Governor DeSantis, an analysis by the Tampa Bay Times and the University of Florida that the epidemic's true toll might actually be between 17 and 58% higher than the numbers that the governor reported because his numbers undercount those who died of coronavirus but were never diagnosed or those who were never tested so that those lives, those souls are not counted by him. Florida officials have actually leaned on medical examiners to stop releasing their own death counts after they showed more deaths than the official state total. The governor apparently knows very well that counting tells the story of what's happening. And he's following our leader who has pressured the CDC to count deaths differently in order to lower the numbers. Control the counting and you control the narrative. And this has been true from the beginning. And as Kira pointed out, what you count determines whose story you're telling. Are you like God commands counting people or are you counting approval numbers, stock values? What is it that we're counting? Rashi regarding the opening verse of numbers, the counting a person is godlike because it means counting a soul. When you count each soul, you, like God, make each one dear to you. As Kira said, you make each one important to you. Do you count meatpackers, mostly minorities and immigrants, or do you only count the locals, as I pointed out last week? Sephorno adds to Rashi that counting a person is godlike because it means counting their individual qualities and merits, tipping the balance of how we are weighed. If we forget to count one, we could be tipping the balance of the universe in the wrong direction. Each person's merits can tip the scales, but only if they are counted. The Ishbitzer Rebbe, the Meashaloach, reminds us that it's all the more so because we're told that we are so numerous like grains of sand and stars in the sky that we're so impossible to count. And yet, nevertheless, God does so. So when we do so, we're aspiring to holiness, to godliness, because God commanded that it is not beyond us to count each soul. It is not beyond us to treasure each person. It is not beyond us to treasure each and every human life. By doing so, we elevate each one, he says. We, he plays on the words of the beginning of the Parsha. By do so, we elevate each one like the mourner's Kaddish elevates his soul. We wonder whether the Ishbitzer Rebbe, known as the Me'ashaloach, was noticing a possible play on words in our opening verses. 
that we are counted le gul godotam, head by head, where the same root, gimel lamed, gimel lamed, means wheel, and is the Jewish term for reincarnation, gilgul hanishamot. By counting them head by head, one elevates each one like the Kaddish, so they can be reborn back into the process of cosmic healing, of life on earth, which in Kabbalah is called tikkun. One thing all the commentators agree on is that the beginning of numbers is telling us that what we count tells the story of who we are. As our board member, Maria Del Cress pointed out in her exquisite of our Torah at our board meeting this week, we are doing a lot of counting in our lives these days, right here as we begin the book of numbers. We count the number of new infections. We count the contents of our pantries to determine the number of days we can go before our next grocery trip. We count the number of pills, I'm speaking for myself. We count the number of pills we have left before we need to refill our prescriptions. We count the number of school assignments our children need to do before a certain date. And we count the days we have left to complete them, <laughs> sometimes the hours. So many of us are counting the numbers in their checking and savings accounts and counting the days they can go before being unable to pay their rent or their mortgage or their tuition payments or for their food. And we do this all by cosmic coincidence during this Jewish period of counting, the counting of the Omer, Sfirata Omer, the counting that begins starting just after the Seder, the reenactment of sheltering in place to survive the onslaught of plague, and then continues as we count each day. Today is day 44. And what are we counting toward? Toward the future of Shavuot, where we stand before God, reunited with the community. And what do we do before God in our moment in the temple? We count our blessings. In popular culture, we simple conservative Jews who gather each week to connect the Torah unto each other, sometimes to me seem barely to rate. I've never seen a decent TV show in my whole life that tells the story of a pastor in a community with any accuracy. I can count on my fingers the numbers of movies ever made that get religion right. Someday we should have a course on that and do it together. It may actually be more than the number of news articles I've ever read that really get religion right. So it came as a shock yesterday to feel like the news was all about us. We should reopen. Don't pastors like me believe that we are an essential part of society? Now, I wanna be clear. There are legitimate legal issues around the powers of parts of government to order each other around and to make rules in unprecedented times. And I'm not speaking to the issues around the legal issues and the constitutional issues. Whether it's legal to shut things down is one question, and it's an important one. But let's not kid ourselves. What is legal has publicly been elided into a moral judgment about what is right. And what I saw in the news yesterday made my blood boil as I felt a finger was being pointed at me and saying, don't you think going to is important, Rabbi? Don't you want to reopen? Don't you consider spiritual needs, essential needs? 
And I'm here to tell you that such words can only be the words of someone who doesn't go to church, who doesn't know what spiritual needs really are. Because what we need is absolutely essential. It's truly being together. It's hugging each other. It's passing someone a book. It's chatting from group to group at Kiddush. It's whispering a joke in the rabbi's ear before you touch the Torah and make me laugh. And we need it desperately. And it is not sitting four or five rows apart from everyone around you, maybe not even being allowed to have a prayer book, it not going up to the Torah, not parading a scroll, and the whole time wearing a mask so people can barely hear what you're saying, if at all. And then walking out in some staggered line with that desperate temptation to pull down your mask so someone can actually hear you saying Shabbat Shalom instead of putting their hand up to their ear as if I didn't catch that. Only someone who doesn't go to services can so glibly claim that we are able to return to it now. It's the words of the person telling the desperately hungry pet to jump high if they really want that dog treat, fully knowing that they're holding it too high for the pet to get. It's the words of the bully who says, I'm daring you. What's in front of everyone? Are you afraid to do my dare? Maybe it's the person who can't imagine what it'd be like to have to choose among which of our members get to come to that because obviously it would be a minimal number who could properly socially distance according to guidelines. Do we say that people above a certain age can't come or people who are sick can't come? Who makes those decisions? Would it feel like a congregation if we did? Would it be meeting our spiritual needs if we did? Because I think maybe it's a person who is used to only some people being counted on the guest list while others are fortunately excluded from the club. What our religious institutions stand for is this essential service, that we count the dignity of each and every human life like God counts it. That's what we stand for. That's the value we're holding. Narrative. We count souls. We count everyone. Each one's equally precious and worth keeping from danger. And until it's safe, each person's life is worth counting because that's what we're counting. That's the value we're holding on to as religious communities. What are you counting?